was born David Aikman in Anvil, Kentucky. He later became known as the banjo-picking singer and comedian String Bean. Now, being a Grand Ole Opry member and TV star on Hee Haw brought him fame and fortune, but that fame and fortune led down a very dark path. Now, let's join Cal and Chris as we look back on the life of String Bean. Take it away, Cal. Broadcasting once again from high top the world famous Doc Hawkins building in smoking hot downtown Coal Mountain. It is Coal Mountain Cal along with my partner, Brother Christopher Cheeto Cheatham, coming at you once again with another episode of The Crossing where the music meets the memories. Hot enough for you there, buddy? Extremely hot, but we're at the tail end of the summer, about to get into my favorite time of the year, the fall season. Starts getting bleak and Leaves are falling and just kind of dreary, and what a perfect time <laughs> to, to do the episode that we're going to do tonight. So uh, right here, let's cue some music and introduce the folks who we're going to be talking about tonight. When I get rich and famous, I'll still be old string. I won't say how you, buddy, I'll call you by your name. I've never been ashore on earth, the Grand Ole Opry fame. I'm going to the Grand Ole Opry Ball to make myself a name. And you will notice on that, that kind of style of playing is not your typical uh, three-finger picking of a banjo. That is what they call a claw-type playing and and uh before earl scruggs stepped onto the scene um and introduced the world to that kind of style of playing and it became so worldwide there was a man named string bean who brought uh who brought a lot of that to uh to folks not only at the at the opry but the man was also well known on hee haw a lot of folks may know him more as uh, being on hee haw but he was born David Aikman in Kentucky, June 17th, 1915, Anvil, Kentucky to be exact. And he passed away November the 10th, 1973 at the age of 58. And we will get to more of that later because it does involve some, uh, just a horrific murder, actually. I guess we just go ahead and uh, spill the beans on that. Him, him and his wife, Estelle, were murdered after they had came home from a Grand Ole Opry appearance one night. And so how does this relate to Forsyth County? Well, it kind of don't. <laughs> but it does um, kind of relate to Forsyth County because uh, we have one of uh, someone who's famous who, who lived here in Forsyth County, uh, Junior Samples, who was on the uh, who was on Hee Haw. And uh, he was a comedian and real funny and on Hee Haw. And, and uh, maybe we could find a way of just leading this back and doing a doing a story on Junior Samples. Maybe we can get one of his relatives in here. But uh, but yeah, String Bean, he was uh, he was well known uh, banjo player. Again, he played that claw style. Uh, he um, did you see what he uh, how he got his banjo? Traded two banny roosters and got him a banjo. <laughs> he was a bit of a barterer, evidently. <laughs> learned how to play that thing and took lessons. His dad was a player, and so he learned how to play from him and bounced around different groups and stuff and wound up uh, joining a guy, and they were on a radio program, and the guy's name, Ace was his name, who he was playing with, and he never could remember he never could remember String Bean's name, which was David, and it come time for him to come up and take a lead on something. He said, come on up here and pick one uh <laughs> come on, String Bean. <laughs> and I reckon the only reason, that, I mean, I guess that String Bean name had to come from the fact that he was six foot five and lean like a String Bean. And for the folks that haven't seen String Bean before, he's got like this long nightshirt that's tucked down and he's got a pair of little bitty short britches at the bottom and he waddles out there and he looks, he's only six, <laughs> he's six five, but he looks like he's about seven foot four or something. And he got those britches. From. Little Jimmy Dickens, yeah, he he had, he had told Little Jimmy Dickens that about how much he had loved those rhinestone, you know, Jimmy Little Jimmy Dickens used to wear those those rhinestone type, uh, you know, uh, what do they call nudie suits, right? And um, he 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 mentioned to one time at the Opry Hall, he had mentioned uh, to Little Jimmy Dickens, I sure do like them pants. He said, "You reckon you can give me a pair, give me a pair of them pants whenever you get done with them?" And he did. 
uh, little Jimmy Dickens ended up giving him them rhinestone pants. What nobody else going to find a way them. of wearing them. Huh? Wasn't anybody else going to use them for no. nothing? He had a hard time getting rid of his hand-me-downs, I bet. Except for kids, I guess. But anyway, String Bean was not only just a, a great banjo player, but but how he ended up really being discovered was the fact that he was an amazing baseball player. Well-known well for his folks that story, how he, how he hooked up with, uh, how he hit the big time in bluegrass. Well, back in the day, um, apparently, so the, so they so we find is that a lot of these artists, you know, country artists, and uh, would would go around town and and before they played, you know, these these gymnasiums and and these shows and stuff, they would do like a promotion uh, where they'd go to these baseball fields and they'd play like a ball game against your local ball team. Barnstorming, they called it. Barnstorming, that's right. Yeah. Well, Bill Monroe had himself a little ball team, and uh, he was. Apparently, Bill Monroe was really proud of this baseball team that he had. Well, I think he had two requirements to be in his band. You had to be a good baseball player and a good musician because he had he used them. So he shows up at this ball field to play against this local team. Well, guess who's pitching for that team? Kentucky, or here in Kentucky, most likely, is you've got the man String Bean that we've been talking about. And String Bean impressed him so much Bill Monroe came to him and he said, I want you on my ball team. And Stream Bean's like, well, just so happens I play banjo. So Bill Monroe basically discovered Stream Bean, brought him on board, took him on tour. And Stream Bean was his only banjo player before the legendary Earl Scruggs took over. Who brought in that three-finger banjo right. roll, they call it. That's right. Replaced by Earl Scruggs. Mm-hmm. Sure was. <laughs> but by then, he had gained some notoriety around the opera and stuff, and he'd kind of produced and got in, uh, had his own little comedy and singing act going. So he was appearing at the opera and, and different package shows across the United States with all kinds of folks. So he was getting to be pretty big. Well, he was a lovable guy from what they say. Like, everybody loves Dream Bean. I mean, he was just like, they say he was just the nicest guy. He's very, lived by very simple means. Start to say he's lovable and man of simple means. Yeah, just real simple. And um, he had some good company, too. He was best friends with Grandpa Jones. Him and, and Grandpa bought a farm together with their, their wives. They bought like a 175-acre farm. And they had a big uh, white house on one side. And then just a couple hundred yards away was this little... Two-room cabin. String Bean and his wife Estelle lived down in the cabin because it was only them. Grandpa and his wife had some kids, so they lived down there. But that cabin did not have any running water, heat, anything like that. They had uh, outdoor toilets, but they lived there because they were just simple folks. Yeah, and String Bean was was kind of you know uh, so simple. Now he he wouldn't go to the grocery store and buy shaving cream. Oh no, he wouldn't go to the grocery store, or the drugstore, and buy deodorant. <laughs> he used rubbing alcohol for deodorant. And what was it he used for shaving cream? Apple, uh, apple vinegar for <laughs> shaving cream. I bet that smelled nice. Yeah. <laughs> that complimented with rubbing alcohol. I bet and, he was smelling right. Kept all the money he ever made, never spent it on anything. He, he would go hunting squirrels. Mm -hmm. Loved to hunt squirrels. And he had so many squirrels that... Uh, he couldn't eat them all. Couldn't eat them all. And George Morgan, who was another opera star, Candy Kisses was his big hit, but you may know him more as Lori Morgan's dad. Well, he loved squirrels, but he never had time to hunt them. So he would trade uh, string bean squirrels for uh, pants and nice blazers and stuff. So that's how string bean, when he wasn't in costume, always wore nice clothes, but he never paid for them. Apparently at that time, people were eating a lot of squirrel. Yeah. Ugh. He didn't like it's the a greasy uh, meat, right? Yeah. He, oh, that's right. He would not eat cow. No, did he'd not. He'd eat pork, and apparently he'd eat a lot of squirrel, but would not eat cow. Nothing to do with dairy. He would not eat any dairy, <laughs> dairy or pork. <laughs> Nothing. That's crazy. But he did. He <laughs> he did allow himself one luxury that every that's year, right. every year he would buy his wife Estelle a brand new Cadillac and pay cash for it. And so every year, yeah, he'd buy a brand new. Cadillac and um, Estelle was his driver. The man didn't drive. He didn't know how to drive. Never learned how, to yeah, drive. Yeah, Estelle, his wife, she's the one who drove him around. Get away. There, here it is. They're living in this little bitty, tiny, tiny cabin. I mean, this thing, this thing, we've seen pictures of yeah, it. You can no, look it, it up can't on the be no more than maybe 500 square foot, right? I mean, the Cadillac not. was bigger than the cabin <laughs> was, pretty much, I bet. <laughs> but they had. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, here it is. They got this little bitty cabin. They got this <laughs> nice, brand spanking new Cadillac parked in front of it. You reckon it. that old trunk, that Cadillac, smell like squirrel when they pull up the Opry? <laughs> no, rubbing alcohol and vinegar. Oh, that took the that took the odor off of it. Dear I bet. God, they did have a station wagon that they kept for running around and errands and stuff. But they used the Cadillac for business because, believe it or not, he wrote down all the mileage and he he would write it off. For his taxes, as business purposes. So everybody knew all these stars from from the Opry, and I mean, people have been listening to the Opry on radio uh, for years and years and years. Um, so here comes this show that they're going to put on TV called Hee Haw. It's going to bring humor, and it's going to bring it to uh, you know they're going to put basically going to put moving pictures to Opry. I mean, yeah, that's kind of visualization to it. Yeah, and so. Um, who better to be on the show because of all the humor and everything? Grandpa Jones, for one. Um, who, who, by the way, something I learned is Grandpa Jones has always been Grandpa Jones, even whenever he wasn't even a grandpa and old. Like, he used to dress old and be to make himself look older than what he was to be yeah, Grandpa he Jones. He on a mustache. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. anyway, so I guess his relationship with Grandpa Jones and, and, the, and, and, and the people that he had associated with at the Opry, and they find out about this new show that's going to be starting, he haul, and he's a perfect fit because he's got this humor about him. He's wearing these little bitty britches down to his knees. He's got a comedy routine and a heck of a musician. You can pull that up. He always did a, a segment on there called Letter from Home, and he mm-hmm. wrote those himself. <laughs> he said, uh, they'd ask him, they'd all be gathering and said, Strang, have you heard from home? Yeah, hey, I've got a letter right here, right next to my heart. They started, heart, 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 where's that? You got to look at it, but it's, it's hilarious. But with that notoriety and fame came a lot of money. Yeah, oh, yeah. And and um, what, what we learned about String Bean is that, that man had been through, well, one thing, he'd been through the Depression. Lived through the Depression. And yes. he had seen um, the stock markets go down. He'd seen banks go belly up. And so he did not trust banks. And so he refused to take any money that he had. And, and I mean, the man had raked in some cash. I mean, he's a standing musician on the Opry. Um, he's performing on Hee Haw. He's well known. He's probably making a little bit of cash on the side. Helps apparently selling squirrels. And so, you know, he he he's he's making cash over cash and refuses to put any of it in the bank. He also hunted ginseng out in the woods and oh yeah, sell, he would flip ginseng to the Chinese. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was a man of all means. <laughs> so anyway, was, he, he did it all. And so String Bean and and Cal and I, we've talked about this a little bit. You know, he was a man of simple. Simple means, but yet he always kept $200 in the front pocket of his overalls. Caught it his flashing money. Yeah, and in the bib, he kept a lot more. He had around three grand he would have sewed into there. Yeah. But I was telling, but we were talking about this, and and here it is, he's living this simple, you know, he tries to live simple. He's very modest with really his living arrangements, um, and, and apparently with his, you know, just his present presentation of himself was very modest but he wanted them people that he was performing with know that he had a little money if he kept flashing that 200 dollars exactly. every now and now also he well he got killed in 73 that was a lot of money back then thank you producer steve for bringing that to me and by the way folks that's producer the good doctor steve thomason who i forgot to mention again <laughs> he's so seamless i don't even know if he's here sometimes well he's keeping them knobs spinning and the beavers grinning if yeah. you notice me i'm not doing my job that's exactly right <laughs> But, yeah, at the end, and I'll get to that later about how much money he had and what he was worth, but he had a, that was a lot of money back then. Yeah, and, and, and you know, the, the fact that he, he was flashing this money and all. And let's also talk about, too, let's talk about what Nashville was at that time. Nashville was not the, 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 the bachelorette capital of the, of the world, you know, bachelorette party of the world as it is now. It was a lot calmer they still had the little honks that were there but these opry stars and stuff they'd they'd finish up a gig at the opry and they'd hang out at tootsies and drink a few beers and hang out and maybe something you talk to people every all these people who who were very well known country artists were approachable you um they were relatable because you could sit there and just hang out with them at whatever little honk you're hanging out at and so everyone was just very very approachable keyword there country because they they're just naive and most of them were from the country and and never had a lot of money and 
I would say String Bean was probably not the only one flashing it, but evidently he flashed it as much as anybody did because that's all you heard him talk about. And you know, our country was just coming uh, at the starting to kind of wind down from the Vietnam War, and our country was a little bit in turmoil at that time. You know, all these protests and everything, people are protesting the war and the fact that, you know, we got all these. Uh, soldiers that are overseas in Vietnam, but you know, here it is. You got this little town, really, of Nashville, who's just so simple, and you got these country artists and people just hanging out with one another. And, and again, you know, it's just a more calmer kind of uh, of environment that you've got there in Nashville at that time. Then one Saturday night, all hell breaks loose, and yep. that's going to lead us to our uh, next part of the uh, podcast tonight. That will be the death of string bean and his wife estelle after the opera show won that so we're going to take a break going to listen to a word from our fine sponsors we're going to let producer steve take us out with a little hot corn cold corn by the great string bean you're listening to the crossing where the music meets the memories come on boys make less snores while the old folks sleeping come on down to the barnyard let's have a little banjo picking <laughs> Bill Martin Barbershop is your one-stop barber for all your men's grooming needs. Stop in for that Buell special. You'll get a straight razor shave and a haircut topped off with your choice of either witch hazel or vitalis. And for all you pickers out there, Butte will stock some strings and picks for them guitars and banjos. That's Bill Martin Barbershop on Highway 9 in South Coal Mountain. If you see Piedmont, you done gone too far. Come in to Jan's Jeans for all your needs in today's fashions. Specializing in Jordache and Gloria Vanderbilt and my favorite, Calvin Klein. Jan's jeans can fit you in a pair today. And for Yallian's cowgirls, we even carry them form-fitting Wranglers. Stop by and see us at Jan's Jeans, Spot Road in Coal Mountain, Forsyth County, Georgia, U.S. of A. Well, come along, boys, make less noise while the old folks sleep. Come on down to the barnyard and let's have a little bandy picking. And that was hot corn, cold corn. I have absolutely no idea what that means. <laughs> but that was that was string bean. But it was playing perfect that because and it we was, were jamming to it coming over here tonight because I picked you up and you'd already got the uh, the uh, Spotify string bean playlist. We were just jamming. Nobody would have knew what we were listening Nothing to. Nothing like driving around in a Dodge Challenger listening to yeah. string bean from the 60s. November 10th, 1973, string bean played that song on his last appearance at the Grand Ole Opry. Uh, he came out and sang, I think Tex Ritter brought him out, and he did Y'all Come. Then he did uh, Going to the Grand Ole Opry to Make Myself a Name. Then he came back to the second show. He did uh, Hot Corn, Cold Corn, I think. And then uh, went backstage after that. He was through, and his guitar player was named uh, Kurt Gibson. That's with a T, not the K like the Dodgers, but uh, he would sing harmonies with him. And he, mm -hmm. that song that they did before that had a lot of harmonies, so they were going to do another one the next week at the Opry. So they went backstage and rehearsed it because he wasn't going to get to rehearse that following week because... Him and Grandpa Jones were going on a hunting trip the They're next morning, leaving trip. early. And they went back and uh, went back in the dressing room and they rehearsed Lord, I'm Coming Home, which was the last, technically, the last song anybody ever heard String Bean sing at the backstage of the opera there. Then Estelle went and picked up the Cadillac, pulled to the side door, picked him up, and they headed to Ridgetop, Tennessee, where they lived about 30, 45 miles away. So meanwhile, while this is all going on, he's performing at the Opry. He's backstage. He's rehearsing. Things are great. 
there's some meanness going on at his house during that time. Well, Stream Bean actually, despite not having a bank and probably not having a lawyer, and as we learned, didn't have any health insurance. The only thing health insurance he needed was the five and me. Is that what he said? Yeah, the five. That's what he called his banjo. He said, Stream, you not got any insurance. You got the, I got all I need with the five and me. That's what made his money. <laughs> but he did, however, have a guy who handled his booking. He had a basically a, a, a talent guy to, you know, kind of run blocker for him, make yeah, sure he was being taken a lot care of. of. Booked a lot of acts back yeah, in Nashville. Yeah. So well, apparently, there's some. There's your connection. How this yeah, all kind of got started. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a young lady who was working uh, who was working for the booking agency, and and she was, you know, she had seen she had seen String Bean come in there from time to time, and and uh, she knew about him flashing the money, and and she knew, you know, that he didn't, you know, she had heard people trying to talk him into putting his money uh, in a bank, and he said he wasn't going to do that, and and uh, he was just going to keep his money and that kind of thing. Well, she ended up uh, sharing that, and she looking back. She probably wish she hadn't, but she shared it with uh, her brother and um, her cousin. And, um, her brother, I believe, was uh, was John Brown, and her cousin, his name was what was his name? Cal? Doug Brown. Doug Brown. Doug and John were cousins. Yeah, they were cousins, and they were like maybe twenty three years old, and and um, and probably had a little bit of a problem with with drugs and alcohol and they had kind of formulated this thing that they were going to get that this old little old string bean fella who's got all this money held up in this little bitty probably 500 square foot cabin they're going to go out there and they're going to get a hold Easy of that job. money yeah and they were just like old mechanics they lived out on uh the whole family lived out on dickerson road out on the side of nashville there which was a bad they say even until today is not a real good part of town but it was full of all kinds of thugs and trailer parks and all that kind of stuff but i think maybe i can't remember you were talking about the lady that was working for the booking agent she was married to another cousin of theirs and then she told her husband and then he told them they were all going to get together and do it well when it come time to do it that night her husband backed out he wouldn't go supposedly that's what he said but come to find out he wasn't a, a good reliable source on anything other than uh, he was related to them, but that's kind of how the story went. So, like you said, they headed up to uh, Ridgetop to wait for String and uh, Adele to come. Come Adele coming to Estelle. Well, they were actually going to try to get done supposedly before they got back from the Opry because well, yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, there's a little bit of formulation to this whole thing. They both had on masks. Uh, one of them had like a one of those old cotton uh, pullover stocking, you know, yeah, stocking kind of deal, and the other one actually had like a, a, a Halloween mask of some kind. Oh, doe face, your granny <laughs> used to call it. <laughs> so they they uh, kick in the door. Hey, well, well, let's let's step back a little bit. They Break drive in the back window. I think. Yeah, they they drive their truck out to the to the to the property, and this is a large piece of property. So they park it up on the hill. Of their truck. It's a car. Sorry. And the car, okay. Yeah. And so they they walk themselves down to the cabin. Well, unbeknownst to them, of course, Stream Bean had ran a string, a piece of string, across his driveway. A little homemade hillbilly burglar line. That's right. And so that whenever he was to show up, if that string was down, you know somebody's been in. He knows somebody's been in. Well, them old boys, they they they, you know, again, they knocked the string down. They got they lost didn't. before they got there. They wasn't sure they were at the right house, and they drove down there first because they knew there wouldn't be anybody there, and they determined that it was the right place. And then they circled back around and drove up and. Uh, parked their car and left the hood open like they were having car issues way up on the side of the road and they walked back down. So I imagine when they walked back down, that's when they tripped that burglar alarm we were talking about. But they but then when they went into the house, they went into the house and they turned the radio on so they could listen to the Opry. So, I mean, they're sitting there listening to it live and they know. Heard when the man they, singing. They, I mean, yeah, they yeah. know that he's... 20 miles away or 15 miles away or ever how far away the Opry, you know, where the Ryman Auditorium is. They know how far away he is, so they can sit there and just listen to the radio to wait for him to finish up his gig, and they can just ransack that cabin couldn't trying find to find that money. money. Couldn't find it. They couldn't find any of the money at all. Uh, they found some guns. Uh, they found a chainsaw. Um there were some other little items that they found, but they 
didn't find this glorious stash of money that they were hoping that they'd bump into once they got inside that cabin. Yeah, and the story kind of goes, they think that maybe they lost track of time because they were drunk and all peeled up and smoked up and oh, yeah. whatever else, but they were out of their minds. So they're thinking maybe they lost track of time and String and Estelle came in a little earlier than they had planned, which probably, according to the way their travel was, was fine, but it was, they surprised them, so they hid. <laughs> and that's when he pulled up and seen that, and he told Estelle to wait in the car. That's right. And he was going to go up and check and see what's he going on. He saw the string was down. He saw the string was down, and he told them. He knew something wasn't yeah. right. Yeah. He, could, he could look at the cabin, and I'm sure he he could tell something wasn't right. And so Estelle went to move the went to park the car, and she left uh she left String Bean um, to go into the cabin. He basically told her to stay in the car. And um, as soon as he went into the, the door of the cabin, kind of looked around. <clears> started looking around. Well, here's the thing. He had, he kept, what was it, a twenty two pistol? I think so. He had a little bag yeah. that he that he kept like... Um, his, his stage his clothes. <laughs> stage clothes. Yeah, and, yeah, he kept all that because if he, wasn't, if he wasn't in them little bitty tiny pants, they said he dressed pretty nice. I mean, like he would sport yeah, coat, wearing all nice George slacks, and squirrel kind of britches. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so he, you know, he's he's got his he's got his gear, you know, in that bag, and and uh, again, he's got that little two hundred dollars probably stuck in that, you know, in that pocket of uh, his overalls, and he he noticed something ain't right, and so he pulls a twenty two pistol out, which he carried all the time. String apparently was packing at all times, mm-hmm. and um, he walked in and he started shooting at the guy, whether it be. Doug, or whether it be you know John, he started firing off. Well, John actually already had a gun on him, but it wasn't the gun that he had brought with him. It was one of Strang's guns, right? And he let him, he he let him have it and shot him. Yep. And then uh, when he seen that happen, he ran. Estelle had came up to the door and she took it back off running when she seen what was going on. She had already gotten out of the car. Yeah. So he ran her down, and as she was running, he fired a shot and caught her in the shoulder blade, which clipped her and made her fall to the ground. And then he came back on and got stood over, and she was begging for her life not to shoot him. So he put a bullet in the back of her head and killed her on the spot. And then they picked up that chainsaw and a couple of guns, and uh, they picked some money. Yeah, a couple hundred bucks is all they got. you know. And uh, they had and they a little station off. wagon yeah. in their station wagon. And they got back up to the road and ditched the station wagon and got back to their vehicle and uh, headed on out of town. They had no idea that String Bean had that, what, $3,000 or whatever in the exactly. bit. Exactly. She there. had $2,000 in her brassiere. She had $2,150 stuck in her bra. And uh, String had, what, three grand sewed into the, his bib, bib, of his to the bib of his overalls. Kind of sewed in that they couldn't find. Now, they, got, they found that little flashing money that he kept in him. You know, kept handy, but yeah, you know, yeah, he had some, he had some cash, and he did have some cash in that cabin that we'll talk about in a little bit. So, they took off next morning. Grandpa Jones gets up because he's going to go hunt because they were going uh, bird hunting. I forgot it was out of town somewhere. So <laughs> he comes driving up the road. They lived about two miles because they had sold that house. I think we made that discuss yet. He'd sold and bought him another farm. They lived about two miles on. Down well, the Grandpa road. sold. The, the the bigger house to String. Back to String, yeah. Yeah, so String ended up owning all of it. Yeah. But didn't move out of the cabin. Never moved out of the cabin. He, he wanted to stay in that little cabin. Didn't move up to the big house. He stayed in the cabin. So here comes Grand, Grandpa back down the road, turns in the driveway and starts heading down the hill. And he knew something was wrong because back again, we're here the first or second week in November and it's cold up there in North Tennessee. No smoke coming out of the chimney. That's the only heat they had. So he knew they was going to have to have some heat. Mm-hmm. And he pulls on down, and he said he saw a wad look like a wad of clothes laying there beside the driveway. And he gets out, and he starts walking up and notices Estelle laying there where she had been shot. And the frost had actually— Yeah, she was uh, like a, had a blanket of frost head, on. Yeah, and he walked on into the uh, cabin and saw a string bean laying there on the floor and uh, tried to call—he was going to call the police, but they cut the phone line. So he had to get back in his car— drive the two miles back to his house and tell his wife to call the police. And then they waited at the driveway for the police to show up and went from there. So so let's let's think about that. They they cut the phone lines. 
they had on masks. You would think it's going to be more. They left the car at the, you know, up on the hill. They turned the radio on to know, not maybe, not to know maybe where he wasn't, but when he was coming. They knew the radio had been turned on to WSM because it was still playing when Grandpa came up and looked in the door. So they knew they had been listening to the opera that night. And they said later in the trial that they had been. So their intent was to, maybe not to kill them, but their intent was to get the money off of them. Yeah, they were going to make them fess up and at least show them where it was at, I'm sure. Something was going on. Yeah, and if you look at some of those pictures of String Bean, I mean, he lived a pretty hard, apparently pretty hard life, I reckon, all that uh, all that apple vinegar on his face. But he looked a heck of a lot older than his mid-50s. That'll harden a man up, that apple vinegar and rubbing <laughs> alcohol for deodorant. You want to try it sometime. <laughs> yeah, I'll go home right now and try that out. So anyway, I mean, them boys, they knew, uh, I think they, they I, you know, you, you put all that together, the fact they cut the phone line and, and everything else, I, I think their full intention was to wait on Stream Bean and Estelle to get home. Unless maybe they end up getting a pretty good score with whatever they found, you know, inside the cabin. Folks, you may be thinking you're listening to an episode of CSI Cold Mountain, but you are wrong. It is the crossing <laughs> Cole What's Mountain that? Cal and Chris Cheatham, as we're talking about the life and death of String Bean Aikman and his wife Estelle. We've covered the uh, early years, uh, stardom, and of course the sad murder of him and his wife. So when we come back for the third and final segment, we're going to talk about the capture, the trial, and uh, current situation with those brown boys. You're listening to The Crossing, where the music meets the memories. Y'all got a letter from home today. Oh, I've got to write next to my heart. Hard, hard, hard. Y'all know the folks, don't you? Oh, yeah. Had a good time up there, didn't you? Yeah. Let's see what he said. He said, Dear String Bean, say, your cousin Tom was over. He was really complaining. Said he'd been hit with everything but falling prices. Oh. <laughs> Cold Mountain Egg Farm is your one stop shop for all your egg needs. We got grade A large. Grade B large <laughs> can't be too large, can he now? All right now, that's Coal Mountain Egg Farms. So y'all stop in, pick you up a flat or two. Coal Mountain Egg Farm in the heart of Coal Mountain, right next to the ball field. There's no gas wars in coming. We've got the best prices in town at $49.9 a gallon at Martyr Oil. Two locations to serve you. Marlar Oil Number One at Highway 19306, on the south side of Marlar Oil Number Two, Highway 19 and 141. Transforming the way you listen to sports. Yep, we've covered all of it at least since 1978, 79, 80, 81, 82. Okay, you get the point. We've got it covered. The North Georgia Sports League. Go ahead, like us on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Keyword search, North Georgia Sports Link. Looking for affordable propane prices and the best service? No worries. Call Mills Fuel Service today for fast, courteous service that will have your tank filled and ready for the cooler temperatures. Mills Fuel Service has dedicated over 50 years of service to North Georgia, providing clean, efficient propane at affordable prices. Tank rentals are available. Three locations to serve you in Dawsonville, Cumming, and Delonica. Call them today, 706-265-3394. Mills Fuel Service, for all your LP gas services. Say, Big John called by last night and said it sure was terrible to grow old alone. Said his wife hadn't had a birthday in 15 years. (laughs) And we are back with the third and final segment of The Crossing, our string bean episode. Cold Mountain Cow, Brother Chris Cheatham, the good doctor producer Steve Thomason bringing you all kinds of information on uh, string bean and everything that happened to the poor soul, Chris. Well, there's a, there's a lot of things that had happened after that. Even though they they, they caught them boys um, gracious within two weeks of the murder, uh, or they less than a, keep less their than mouth. a month, they could yeah. not keep shut about it. Yeah, yeah they, they ended were bragging up bragging to folks. Went downtown and and just started you know bragging about I guess that they had killed this country star. I mean, well, they, they were in their a, early uh, tw- they were in their early early twenties, yeah. drunk. You know, I mean, well, they yeah, had yeah. got a uh, an acquaintance of theirs was arrested for something. He was a, 
habitual violator, I guess, or just a, one of the truck drivers up there or something. So he contacted the detectives and said, I got some stuff that I can give you that. I'll trade it for you for some leniency on these crimes that I'm up against. You yeah. know, get out a little jail time. So long story short, we could go into it and cover another whole hour, hour and a half on that part of Just it. Just on but, the trial. Yeah. But uh, he ratted out the Brown boys. And they did some stuff. And uh, they were subsequently arrested for the murder of, double murder of String Bean and his wife Estelle. There was a couple of things that they had done. They had actually took string beans, that, that bag that we were talking about earlier. They took it, and um, they were, apparently they were, it was bloody. There was blood all over it, and they, they threw it out of the car somewhere. And they ended up uh, doing an interview with a, a local paper. Yeah, it was a guy with the uh, Nashville banner. What had happened was this particular high-profile lawyer that they had he had uh, started the custom of if he had a you know big case, he would let the uh, defendant give an interview with the newspaper mm-hmm. and tell his whole side of the story, but and then let the paper re- release that, and that way he wouldn't ever have to be cross-examined during, and so they could use that as a I don't know it's as a- evidence or something. I'm not sure, but that's how they did that. So that's how they were going to go. He told the guy exactly where they threw it, the reporter. So they went out there. And sure enough, they found the, the bloody bag, and the reporter ended up taking that bloody bag, and he stuck it in the trunk. Of his own car. Of his own car. Because he knew they got information that the police were going to be out there the next day doing that. That's right. That, and and that uh, we, we've seen some video and read some interviews with that reporter, and he said, he goes, I know it wasn't right, but it's business. Yeah. It's yeah. business. And he wanted to sell papers. Yeah, because the uh, Tennessean... He was past his deadline, so if he broke that story right when he found mm-hmm. the bag, it wouldn't uh, air print till the next day. Well, the Tennessean had a uh, evening edition, and they would have printed it that yeah. way. So he held on to it, which I guess you can do. Anyway, they go to trial. Uh, first off, they pleaded. They pleaded innocent. By but the sheriff, the sheriff apparently, uh, or the cop, or whoever the main you know investigator with the murder. He knew that they were guilty whenever they hired that hope the high profile lawyer. That high profile lawyer. Um, here it is, they've been saying they didn't do it, they didn't do it, and then they hired that high profile lawyer lawyer and then they was like, Okay, well, they did it. You know, we know they did it now. And they were under a lot of pressure to get somebody arrested because Nashville was in a panic. All these country stars had went, you know, crazy, scared to death. And actually after String Bean was murdered, Another local guitar player was beaten to death. They uh, played for Hank Snow. Played for Hank Snow. Hank Snow's guitar player ended up being murdered. And, and what's what's wild is the, the guitar player, Kurt, that you were saying, who was the guitar player for String Bean, he was out of a job because of a murder. Well, the guitar player for Hank Snow was murdered. He got that job. And he got that job. So Murder you know, cost him a job and it got him a and job. And he got him a gig, yeah. It was weird. Yeah. But um, but anyway, they're found guilty. They're found guilty. They're sent. They're they're they are given two life sentences, ninety nine years, two ninety nine year sentences for each uh, person. I guess they killed. And the jury wanted it served concurrent. Yep. And the and the um, judge said no way. Nah. So we're nah. going to do it consecutive. So they both got one hundred and ninety eight years that they had to serve. Well, which brought um, up parole. Yep, which brought up parole. Uh, Doug uh, never got to see uh, ever being paroled. He died in prison. But now um, the John, other one, John, John, John Brown, he actually served forty-one years, asked for parole countless times. Three different times, years. I think. And every one of those times he come up for parole, all these country artists showed up, forgiving people. They were forgiving people, but, you know. They also believed in. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, even Grandpa Jones, he, he was, uh, he, they, they had reported that he commented that he actually felt sorry for whoever committed those crimes because there must be a, something in, going on in their life that's so bad that they would kill that good yeah, people. They, so he actually felt sorry for whoever it was. But, uh, but yeah, so they. Um, yeah, Bill, Bill Anderson, he, Bill Anderson uh, Jan Howard, 
Mac Wiseman, they would all show up at the uh, parole hearings yep. and voice their opinion. Bill Anderson, he, he got petitions up, email petitions, and it was all, they fought it real hard. But in the end, John Brown did get paroled after 41 years. 41 years. In 2014, he actually was released from prison. And um, despite, you know, everyone's pleas for him not to be released, he has been released from prison. As far as I know, he's, he's still today. alive. Yeah. Still alive. But to and say he's, he's a changed man, so... You know, I guess he got rehabilitated, but he still didn't serve the sentence, in my opinion. But that's a podcast for another day, I guess. Well, back to that that Kurt that yes. we were just talking about, the guitar player who ended up ca- catching the gig with Hank Snow. Oh, I, I was going to tell this. But you've got it, so this is just good. <laughs> and so back at that time, we're talking about in I guess the mid seventies. By this time, um, country artists were kind of following suit. Like um, Johnny Cash, did. like Johnny Cash did, and and playing Folsom Prison, and uh, uh, he played another prison. What was the other prison he played at? San Quentin. San Quentin. Well, these country artists were going to starting to play uh, these prisons to perform for for these prisoners. Well, um, Hank Kurt, Snow. Yep, Kurt was going to perform at a prison with Brushy Hank Mountain Snow. State Penitentiary in Tennessee, where they were uh, locked up at. And Kurt, again, this is String Bean's guitar player, his his good, great friend, you know, um, his partner in crime as far as performance is concerned. He finds out that one of those brown boys is in that prison. And, and <laughs> he was one of the sound roadies. Yeah. He was one of the guys that he was in prison who was helping to load up the sound and, and, and get everything in there to perform. And Kurt actually ended up talking to him, talking to him, and and kind of I, I guess somewhat you know yeah he told him he said listen he, he said I know you killed my one of my best friends but he was a kind and forgiving man he would have forgiven you he yeah. would have forgiven you he said I hope you can in his honor now find something to do right by some someone else yeah well Hank Snow wasn't having it Hank Snow wasn't too forgiving no was he it? wasn't too forgiving he said hell with it we're going home <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving on I'm moving on. <laughs> We ain't performing yeah. this gig. He didn't play it. <laughs> Did not. So they ended up loading the equipment and they left. Yeah. So props to Hank Snow. Yeah. He he. Uh, they they end up not playing the gig. So the, uh, John Brown's still alive, as far as we know, right now. Uh-huh. The, uh huh. The cabin up at Ridgetop, Tennessee. People still live there. And to come full circle with that, mm-hmm. the couple that live there, his wife does all the driving. He, he works in Nashville at one of the colleges. He's a professor or something. He he never learned to drive either. So his wife drives him backwards and forth, just like Estelle did String Bean. God, that's spooky. Yeah. There's, there's, <laughs> I saw a YouTube on it. He, we got to go up there because you can go in. He'll show you the bullet holes that are still in the wall and all that stuff. Oh, the money. Tell him what you we well we it, don't know about this. Well, yeah. This is this. There's there's before some, they got there, it was rented yeah. to another guy. Yeah, they there's some contesting associated with this, so we don't know. You know, I guess nobody knows whether or not this is really true or not. But some dude apparently was renting the cabin. We're talking about in the '90s, so this is now twenty some odd years later. Um, some guys renting the cabin. He lights a fire in the fireplace, and he starts noticing all this paper going up the uh, flume of the chimney. Well, come to find out, so they say there was like twenty-something thousand dollars stored in some type of little compartment in that uh, chimney. Well, by that time, rats had gotten a hold of it. The money had deteriorated, or something rotted. And um, the the money was no good anyway, and so there was that money that them boys was looking for, but it was it was in the chimney. There was all this money floating around. If that and, is and indeed they, true, because the detectives that we've been uh, watching on these YouTube videos and reading the manuscripts and stuff, they say they went over that house with a fine tooth comb, and they don't see how that much money they wouldn't have found it. But I guess it's neither here nor there. But they also said that, you know, all the Opry guys were telling uh, String Bean, said, you need to get open up your bank account. He said, I don't trust the banks. And then I think it was Jeannie Seeley said, and a couple of weeks later, he called her over there and he goes, I've been checking into them banks. He said, I opened me a couple of accounts up. So come to find out, at the end of the day, String Bean had over $500,000 in his banking accounts, two or three of them, which 
I went to a website and did the calculations. If you did that from 1973 to 2019, he was worth over 10 million bucks in what he had in his accounts. With so no that, will and no kids to leave it to. He left it all, supposedly was going to leave it all to the children's homes. Well, he, um, and he apparently put that money in the bank moments before being murdered. So could you imagine where he kept all that money in that little bitty cabin? I mean, he had to have it stored somewhere. Well, no one of us will ever know, but moments, I mean, it wasn't long before, I mean, or long, yeah, long before he got murdered that um, he made that massive deposit into the bank of half a million dollars. He probably had in that old squirrel sack and had that uh, <laughs> apple vinegar and uh, rubbing alcohol sitting on top of it. No day wasn't nobody going to touch that stuff. <laughs> Reckon it was the squirrels that ate up. Around. It might have been the squirrels that ate up his money. Yeah, it could have been. We'll leave you with one more story. Uh, back in the day, they were talking about, you know, string bean being frugal and stuff. And the uh, some of the promoters and agents, and they were trying to get the Opry stars to sign a petition that they weren't getting paid enough appearance fees for the Grand Ole Opry. And they kept trying to get string bean to put his signature on it and, he was fixing to leave one night, and they said, here, you got to sign this. He, he kind of looked at it, and they told him what was going on. Estella went to get the Cadillac. She pulled it up the alleyway right there, you know, Tootsie's in the side door there. We've been there a couple mm-hmm. times. And uh, he looked at him. He said, boys, all I can tell you is when I got to Nashville, I was a-walking. <laughs> and he jumps in Opened that brand in that Cadillac, new Cadillac, shut brand the door, new Cadillac. they eased on back on up toward Ridgetop. And speaking of that Cadillac, um, that that. Very same Cadillac, the last Cadillac they owned, the Cadillac they drove up to the cabin, you know, right before they were murdered, is in a museum in um, Pigeon Forge, um, Tennessee. And? And I'm headed there tomorrow morning. (laughs) (laughs) Not just to see that car. I'm actually going there for a volleyball tournament for my daughter. But uh, Producer Steve says if you do not come back with a picture that we can put it on the website, you will not be permitted on this podcast again. You'll be banned from the microphone if you don't get a picture and post it. But on another note, you know, we we talked about and we and we just brushed over it a little bit. We talked about how how simple and free and peaceful the town of Nashville were, and how approachable all those artists were, and everything. Exactly. After the death of String Bean, that changed. Hadn't been the same since. It's not been the same, and, and, and just after that murder. And everything changed. As All young, these artists yeah. started putting up big gates in front of their house. They stopped hanging out in these bars and drinking beers with the with the uh, fans of them or the show or whatever they've been on. Everything changed. Yeah. As they used a, to do tours. That they do a tour of the opera and take them out past the the artist's houses. They just see them sitting out there. They drive in their driveway if they want to, and that's when it all changed. They'd start that's when the artists started to complain, and they didn't want those touring groups yeah. to come by their houses anymore. They said <clears throat> they stopped sharing what their addresses were, and yeah. they didn't want anybody coming out to their house. And things got real um, there in Nashville after uh, poor String Bean and Estelle was taken from us as a is young it, boy is that why y'all don't share your address on this podcast exactly the fan base yeah exactly no, i don't yeah enemy base yeah. <laughs> <It's> possible <laughs> as a young boy in 73 i was actually or 73 or 4 i guess probably 74 probably the next year after string was murdered you know my grandmother as i've told you several times she used to live in nashville so she hauled us got us in the car one day and we took off and one day we drove up to hendersonville saw johnny cash's house Circle back around. We went to Baker Road in uh, Ridgetop, Tennessee, and she was telling me about String Bean used to live there, and all, which I couldn't comprehend all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I do remember pulling down that road. We took a right turn and eased down the driveway a couple, 10 or 20 feet, and just stopped. And you could see the cabin sitting down there. So I've actually been there. We turned around and left, and I was like, okay, whatever. Let's go back. Let's get back to the mall or wherever. <laughs> Get us a toy. Yeah, but we're going to go back as a as a podcast group. We're going to go talk to those folks that live up there, and we'll tour it. Yeah, absolutely. they'll talk to us. Yeah, yeah, maybe we'll be we'll see worldwide and bona fide by then. Uh, yeah, folks, thank you so much for joining in, listening to this podcast. This is Cole Mountain Cow, along with brother Chris Cheeto Cheatham and the good doctor producer Steve Thomason. Thank you so much for joining us. Spread the word. Uh, Thank y'all for all our listeners, man. We yeah, we're had growing. Some, yeah, that uh, damn good dog episode was uh, pretty yeah, hot. We, we picked up some good uh, good subscribers with that. Yeah, and yeah. all that. So, 
All right. Until next time, this is uh, Cold Mountain Cow Chris and producer Steve. Going to take you out. I say we got to go out with a little string bean going to the Grand Ole Opry to make ourselves a name. <laughs> I come out of old Kentucky early in the spring. I'd head for the Grand Ole Opry Ball to make myself a name. I've never been ashore on earth a grand old Opry fame I'm going to join up with them for make myself a name I'll buy myself a cowboy suit, boots and a hat the same Yeah, I'm going to grand old Opry ball to make myself a name I've never been ashore on earth a grand old Opry fame I'm going to join up with them folk, make myself a name When I get rich and famous, I'll still be old strain I won't say hi you, buddy, I'll call you by your name I've never been ashore on earth a grand old Opry fame I'm going to grand old Opry for to make myself a name I'll buy my wife a Cadillac, me coat and diamond ring She'll be proud of me then cause she never had them things I've never been a shorter of the Grand Ole Opry fame. I'm going to the Grand Ole Opry Ball to make myself a name. The Crossing, where music meets memories, is recorded at Due South Productions high atop the Doc Holcomb Building in downtown Coal Mountain and is recorded and mixed by Steve Thomason and hosted by Chris Cheatham and Coal Mountain Cal Hurd. Theme music written, performed, and recorded by Wendell Cox. The Crossing is a production of Roadhog Studios and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Due South Productions or at least a text message from Cal or Chris. That'll do too. All rights reserved. All right, we'll catch you next time on The Crossing.